Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. I look forward to this conversation. We're going to be spending time with John Edelson. He is the founder and president of Time for Learning. I think that, you know, one of the things that has changed rapidly and or has just sort of you know, come to the front of a lot of people's minds is, you know, the way in which we think about education, where we educate our children and finding out different and innovative ways to do so. So with that as the backdrop, John, give us a little bit of a, you know, a state of the union of, of your company, Time for Learning. Uh, it has been around. So I, I say that as a compliment, because I think there are some with so many education companies out there across planet Earth, the ones that have been able to stick through it, uh, I think have some incredible lessons for the rest of the industry. Uh, and also for parents, teachers, and students to learn about different options. So give us a little bit of the backdrop of Time for Learning. Oh, Rod, thank you. I'm thrilled to talk about Time for Learning. We started servicing um, homeschoolers in 2004. Our focus was the parents who were at home trying to educate their children. I noticed that there was some spectacular educational software out there and that I could either license or recreate it and make it available to homeschoolers. So what we created was a pre-K to 12th grade online curriculum. Now, most parents aren't familiar with what a curriculum is. You can think of it as a textbook. So it's basically everything you're supposed to learn. We cover all four subjects, language arts, math, science, and social studies, the four main subjects. And it's presented in a highly interactive, modern manner. So for the littler kids, this tends to be very cartoony with cartoon characters discussing the material that the students are supposed to learn. Um, In the older grades, it's it's a lot more mature. Of course, when you deal with high schoolers, they do not want to be treated like third graders. (laughs) Uh, And and it's very interactive. So there'll there'll be relatively short sections where you hear the kids talking and explaining things to each other. And then there'll be exercises where you see if you've retained the information, if you can apply the information, if you can think critically about it. And that's where you start developing really specific skills. You, you, you learn to think like a scientist or a historian and so on. So Time for Learning has been dedicated to this. We do it nationwide, online, very modern. Um, and we have, we have a vast audience across the country. Take us back to 2004. Um, what was that like when you, not just the idea, like, you know, we can do something here, but take me back to that point in time when we think about education technology and, you know, I mean, I'm thinking back, I mean, look, even in 2010, we were still in this sort of process of, well, if we, if we integrate in technology, we're just going to sort of replicate it in a digital form. That was sort of what felt like that was the main discussion. And we were talking about data rooms and <laughs> that felt like the sort of the, the end of the discussion in that regard. But you were obviously there even before that. So what were those discussions like? How much did you feel like you had to educate not just the consumer, but really the industry in what was possible uh, in delivering curriculum in a very different way. So the funny thing about 2004 through 2015 for Time for Learning and for me is how much it's been like the last two years. What parents were going through then and what they've been going through the last two years in terms of transitioning to homeschooling has not changed. In every case, there's the same pattern. Parents put their kids in school because that's that's what we do. That's how we expect things to be. That's the way it's been for 100 years or so. And then 
something happens or a series of unfortunate events happen. Some years it's, it's lots of bullying. Some years it seems to be that the intense focus on high stakes testing and that the kids might fail um, intimidate some kids and they start hating schools. Uh, in some cases it was school violence followed by the active shooter drills, which was terrifying kids and families. So they decided to keep the kids home. So in this sense, the COVID and the horrible remote schooling uh, problems look just like the previous history. Parents put their kids in school, it doesn't work. The parents don't know what to do. Parents are very concerned about their kids' education. The parents don't know what to do. Parents have heard this word homeschooling. They don't really know what it means, but they gotta do something for the kid. If there's one thing that's true about every parent, they all want the best for their child and they're all searching for a way so over and over again, parents who've had their kids in school pull them out, they grab this word homeschooling, they look on the search engines, and they try and figure out what homeschooling means and how they go about it. That has not changed in the last 20 years. John, is this, so look, I, not to put you in a difficult spot, I'm just very curious, maybe it's the parent in me. So when we think about that, right, so, you know, the different, I guess, forces at play that might open a parent's or, or a parent's, uh, a family's eyes onto sort of, you know, homeschooling and what this could be as an option. You talked about everything from, you know, if there are bullying concerns, you know, um, high stakes testing, violence. I mean, I'm, a lot of that to me is around social emotional learning and whether or not our, our schools across the country are providing that safe environment to one, access the curriculum and or feel physically and emotionally safe in that building. And if not, homeschooling is an option. Is, is it fair or is it hyperbolic to say that that is potentially an indictment on our public school system that, we're, in essence, the traditional educational platforms are, have not been doing what we need them to do? And hence, we need to find something. And that alternative can be homeschooling. So I, I, I'm no expert on criticizing the school systems, but I will say what I think everybody agrees with teachers, parents, and the professors. The American educational system needs to be dramatically different than it is. Every group of people will agree that the current American educational system is a huge disappointment and a problem. Now, an interesting fact, and I've been involved in this so many times that it's just amazing, is while everybody agrees on that first point, it's very hard to get any agreement on the second point of what does that mean we should do? I mean, there's some people who say, gosh, we have to go back to, and they start talking about how they think things used to be. Um, there's other people who talk about, you know, we've got to get to the future, and they have this vision of, of this and that. There's, there's lots of different directions. I, I think the most important thing is at this point in time, we really don't know what education should be like. And parents need choices to do the right thing for their children. Um, one thing that's quite obvious is children are very, very different. No two children are identical. And the idea of batching a group of kids through a classroom, which teaches to the mythical average of a class, the average student, just is not optimal. Um, I mean, just think about it. In math, half the kids will find that it's going way too fast and they're stressed and they're feeling stupid. And if it gets too fast, they put their head down on their desk and are depressed, start thinking, you know, I'm bad at math. Um, that same kid, when it comes to language arts, might also be looking around the room, bored out of their mind, 
because they've already mastered all this material and language arts and they're much faster than that. Moving at the speed of somebody else is really the definition of, of tough education. It requires you to be very disciplined, you have to sit still. And while that might've been great in the previous generations when they were preparing people for a different sort of workforce and the kids were quite different, were prepared quite differently for school, today that does not work. Today's children and today's educational system are not a great match. What is a great match is the kids today when they start homeschooling and when the parents start homeschooling, they find, ah, this feels better. I can move at my own pace. If the math is too easy, I can go faster. If the language arts is too hard, let's back it up and, and review the stuff we missed. Um, if I wanna go a lot deeper on that science lesson and do some hands-on experiments and, and explore it, I have the time to do it. I, I think that there are a lot of problems in the educational system, but we have some things very right. School choice is real in all 50 states. Parents have the option of choosing to homeschool. And at this point, 11% of the K-12 population has made that choice. That's, that's a US census uh, statistic number. So I think the, the move to homeschooling will ultimately have a huge impact on the educational system as schools look to why people are going to homeschooling initially out of a panic, but staying because it's better for their child's education and better for their family. John, let's let's pivot to the parent or the caregiver. Um, I think that for people who don't know about homeschooling, you know, if you're at the bus stop or you're at a community event and you're having a conversation about homeschooling, the one variable that is incredibly hard to control for, not that we can do this in classrooms, right? We sort of get assigned a teacher in that regard, right? And some are are more exceptional than others, but of of course, I think the intent is is to do good. Um, and they are some incredible human beings, but the one variable in homeschooling is the parent. So help someone help the audience out there understand the role the parent plays in homeschooling, especially for the parent that says, you know what, I am confused maybe about the op options we have in our local community for our schools. And I would consider, you know, homeschooling, but now I have to become a teacher and I'm not sure that I have the requisite skill set to be able to do that. How do you address that to ensure, I guess, I, I, maybe I'm, it makes me think about quality control <laughs> to some degree, right? Help me understand the parent's role in homeschooling. So your anxiety, your concern there is typical of not just a few parents. I'd say it's typical of every single parent who decides to homeschool. They have this vision of a teacher stated in front of the room, lecturing on math or how to write an essay or, or, or something. And the parent knows that they, they don't know how to do that. They don't have the skills, they don't have the knowledge, they don't even know what they're supposed to talk about. One of the great things about starting to homeschool with time for learning is that myth gets busted real quick. Our advice to parents when you start homeschooling, and this, this comes from having talked to thousands of homeschoolers about all the mistakes they made and what they wish they'd done, is first you start by a week of, of really de-schooling. You don't rush into homeschooling. You take a little time off, the parent does some research, you let the kid goof around and have some time, and during the week, you do talk to the child about education and uh, what does the child want to learn and how do they want to learn. And of course, the child doesn't have very fixed ideas either, but just by asking them and giving them some choices, um, an, an awful lot happens. 
you don't have to treat the kids like little prisoners and you're going to tell them exactly what to do. Every kid wants to be educated. You, know, you ask a second grader, what do they want to learn to do? Well, I guess I should learn to read, shouldn't I? Right. And what about math? Well, I think this year we're supposed to learn about addition and this and that. And you could have a joint project with your son or daughter, and you can actually look up the standards of what they're supposed to learn. And most kids kind of agree. Now, a lot of kids also have other interests that they'll throw out there on the table. I want to learn to make a robot. I want to learn to program. I want to, I want to get a really good paint set and learn to paint. But when it comes down to it, when you're through that first week of de-schooling and it's time to actually start doing work, all the parent really has to do is set them up on time for learning. You, you, you run the credit card, it's about $20 a month. And then the child has a stream of language arts, math, science, and social study lessons. And the parent's job is not to help, but to observe. And you'll learn some remarkable things about your child. Um, I'll, I'll always remember the story of Sage's mom who put her fourth grade daughter in front of Time for Learning. And then two or three weeks later, she called up uh, Time for Learning. And this was back when I was doing support myself. So I, I took the call and <laughs> helped her a little bit with how to read reports. This is John on the line. <laughs> Hi, this is John, Time for Learning. How can I help you? I've only said that about 5,000 times. Um, but what she's, once, once I'd finished answering her tech question, uh, I said, you know, can I ask a little bit about um, you know, why you decided to homeschool and how is it going? And she says, it's just been amazing. My daughter, I put her on fourth grade math. She was in fourth grade. And about three days in, she says, mom, the math is boring. So I clicked and switched her to fifth grade math. And my daughter said, mom, it's still sort of slow. So I popped her up to sixth grade math. And this she found sort of interesting. I had no idea. The teacher had never said anything. She'd gotten A's, but it'd been no big deal. My daughter was a math genius that she basically could pick this stuff up really quickly and was quite ready for sixth grade math and ready for pre-algebra. Now, the other side of that story is the mother also said, um, I watched my daughter in language arts and I realized that she really couldn't read very well. In fact, I then had her read out loud to me a little bit. And I realized that she had memorized a lot of words. She was reading sight words, but she had never learned to decode. She couldn't actually sound out a word. And uh, so I typed into Google, and it turns out this is quite a common problem. The kids who aren't taught phonics properly will skip it, learn to memorize all the words, and it doesn't turn out to be a problem until high elementary or, or middle school. And in that case, you just reset the time for learning back to the phonics program, and she had some remediation and her skills were addressed, but this had been totally missed by the school. The reason for homeschooling wasn't bad instruction. It had to do with some bullying stuff that was going on in the school. So this is what's so exciting about homeschooling. The parents start out feeling inadequate. They don't know where to start. They don't feel competent. And what they realize pretty early on is there's some fantastic resources, like Time for Learning, which does most of the heavy lifting and allows the parents to be parents, to orchestrate the right resources, to, to see where the problems are, to see where you can go deeper. And if there's a problem, you, you, you go and solve it, but you don't have to be a subject matter expert. You can, most of this is common sense. Now, I, I would imagine that once they get past that piece, or if they're, if they're a family is evaluating homeschooling, one of the key, I think, discussion points might be, you know, 
the, the time that needs to go into obviously homeschooling your child or your children. And if, if you are providing that time and facilitating that experience for them on a day-to-day basis, that will impact your ability to be a working professional if your family needs that. So is that the, the, large, the most significant barrier to homeschooling is that you're, it's a trade-off and that that can be a, a very difficult decision for a family? Um, it is an issue. Let me point out, this is 2022, and most of us have learned that work is something you do, not a place that you go. So, in fact, the Time for Learning office, which where there was seating for 100 people, um, is no more. And we are supporting everybody, like myself, working out of their homes, and this has been fantastic. In fact, we actually thought about opening the office again, and Everybody said, you know, we just don't have time to drive to the office. We have too much work to do. Yeah. And um, this is the case of an awful lot of families where the people are home. Let me also point out that a lot of people have learned that education is not a place that you go. It's something that the child does. Children don't, children can't be made to learn. You can't make adults learn anything. You only learn something because you want to do it. And our school system generally has slipped year after year after year into forcing kids and trying to force them to do it. So, yes, you do need children to be supervised at home in some way. But this is possible for an awful lot of families, an awful lot of extended families. And in many cases, families work in pods and groups to make it possible. I was going to ask you that if they do that, if they sort of collaborate together as a neighborhood or as a group of families. So the one-room schoolhouse is back. It's now often called a homeschool pod or a learning pod. You have kids from two, three, four families who all get together. Many of these are actually built around time for learning. So all the kids are learning at their own pace. There'll be one parent there sort of supervising them as a group, just in case anything goes on during the morning. And then um, the way a lot of homeschool families organize their day is the morning is all about doing formal desk work of different sorts. But homeschooling is pretty efficient, and you can get most of that done before lunch. The afternoon is when it, when it gets really fun, because now it's time to go join the sports teams, join the theater group, join the choir, go to the art studio, learn to cook. And this is one of the great things about homeschooling. The kids are have the time and the agency to really pursue their interests and go deep. Now, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. If you think about the school day, it starts with a bus ride. Then there's some waiting around in the homeroom for all the kids to show up and for them to take attendance. Then you switch to another room. Everybody gets settled. They take attendance again. Okay, now there's some substance, but it only lasts you know, 35 or 40 minutes. Might be a discipline problem in there. There might be this problem. More time is wasted. Now you switch classrooms. There really isn't that much instruction or educational time during a school day once you take out lunch, recess, changing classrooms and transportation. It's really easy to get that all done efficiently in the morning at home. And this gives families the afternoon free to go do things. One of the oldest homeschool jokes, if you indulge me for a second, is this. (laughs) What is the single hardest thing about homeschooling? I don't know. And the answer, of course, is staying home. There's so much going on. At this point, there's a homeschool group 
in every community, there's a portfolio of homeschool groups. So my advice to parents when they start homeschooling is quickly go out there and start visiting the different groups. Now, it's a little bit like dating. Some of them you will not like, and some of them you will. <laughs> so assume if there's five groups in your area, the two of them you're really going to like, one you'll be lukewarm, and two of them will be not your kind of people. Sure. That's fine. But this sort of socialization turns out to be fun. I've heard an awful lot of parents talk about their kids making much better friends through these homeschool groups than they ever made in the school. And the parents, too, have made friends and gotten deeply involved with them. Yeah, a, a tight-knit community for sure. Uh, let's talk about the impact of COVID. So uh, I believe that you've had quite an increase in parents and families that have that have come on board with Time for Learning. And do you see this as a trend that's going to continue um, now that they've, I would imagine they've sort of settled in this past school year that you, you know, you're going to have now people that are now comfortable, they can access a curriculum in a much different way. And it's now part of their routine. Is that is that fair that that's sort of what you're seeing? And do you see this trend continuing? Well, my crystal ball is a little murky. So let me just tell you about the patterns that I've seen historically. Mm. Accidental homeschoolers start homeschooling with real tentativeness, real trepidation, and with the intention of doing it for a very short period. That's almost never how it works. Once they settle in, they go into a golden era of parenting. And most parents talk about those, those years of homeschooling, once the parent hit their stride and the kids are, are flourishing as the best years of their life. So I imagine this will continue to be the case. An awful lot of people will keep homeschooling. Now, part of it depends on the schools. And of course, we all want to return to normalcy and we all want some vacations. Um, how this plays out is very complicated. One of the things about homeschooling is you can take vacations whenever you want to. So you can go to the national parks and go to the national monuments and make your trips, not during the busy school uh, school vacation times, but when it's when the prices are low and the, the venues are empty. So a lot of the vacations that people want to take are really facilitated by homeschooling. In fact, there's an awful lot of people now doing this road schooling thing where the family basically goes on the road and the parents and the kids um, in a hotel room or someplace, do their work, and then move on with a fun day. Hmm. In terms of how the schools are going to play out, it, it's very hard to tell. Uh, obviously, there's been this great resignation, and this has hit a lot of industries. Yeah, I mean, in education, it's, it's, it's the big quit is what everybody's concerned about. Yeah, and it, we all know that the definition of bad education is substitute one followed by substitute two, <laughs> followed by substitute three. I mean, that, that's terrible. And there's parents that are going to go through that and say, okay, this is for the birds, and there'll be more people coming over to homeschooling. Um, the other big trend is homeschooling, back when we started this in 2004, 5, 6, was, was, was a little weird. I mean, we only had 1% to 2% of the population homeschooling. And teachers were resentful of, of you doing it. And, you know, an awful lot of family feuds happened because it seemed so weird. But that's now ancient history. Everyone has known plenty of families that homeschooled. Every college has accepted and has systems for accepting homeschoolers. Every, every company has hired homeschoolers. I'll tell you a funny thing. We did a session recently on this very topic that you asked about, and that was how to working uh, mothers and families deal with the fact that they're also homeschooling. And we had four homeschool moms talk about how they're doing this. 
all four of these women worked for my company. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize some of them were homeschooling, but they were working at home. And in the next room, they had, uh, they had their kids homeschooling. (laughs) And in fact, we've, we've, you know, met an awful lot of teachers who were teaching remotely for a school and homeschooling their kids at the same dining room table. Let, let's pivot, John. Let's talk about some of the challenges that are going around, going on around the country and just wondering if homeschoolers and, and companies like Time for Learning are subject to some of these, um, these new rules that are being put out there. So in my state of Tennessee now, we are, you know, there, there's a, a notion that we're going to have to put even more guardrails in place when it comes to our, our libraries and the books that students have access that are a part of their curriculum. So we don't have to go into that. That's a, <laughs> it's a very heated debate here uh, in my state. But let's talk about how do these rules from, from states across the country impact the curriculum that students that are engaging with time for learning? Um, and I believe you use edgenuity, is that correct? Uh, yes, let me talk about uh, the culture wars, the way they're hitting schools. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that's for sure, and that is a lot more teachers are going to quit. These teachers that have been out there trying to take care of their kids, they've been developing social emotional learning techniques. The U.S. public schools in this country at this point are a majority of students are one defined minority. And the teachers who are on the front line on this have been trying to adjust to it and make sure that the kids feel the material is relevant and addresses them and that they feel represented by the stories and the the way we tell U.S. history. What do these teachers feel when, for them to continue doing that, puts them in violation of policies and and laws? Well, they feel like they need a new job. (laughs) That's what they do. They're like, I can't take this anymore. So I, I, you know, I don't know whether, what role the school should really play. I'm in no position to set public policy. I will tell you that this swing in states like Florida and Tennessee is not gonna be embraced by lots of teachers. And for many of them, it will be the final straw and they will walk. And again, we're in this vicious circle where if the schools don't have good experienced, dedicated teachers, they can't provide a quality education. And homeschooling is the, the net winner. Look, I've been doing homeschooling since 2004. Every year there's been this question of whether it could keep growing like this. Um, but again, this year, it's the same thing. It's just kept growing. And so did we. And I, I see a lot of trends, which mean this will, this will keep growing. Let's kind of close with this. Let's, let's imagine that you're sitting at a conference room table or you're sitting at a table and we've got, we've got a representative from, you're there representing homeschooling. We've got public school, we have private school, and we have charters. What, what do you think that conversation looks like? Because you, you mentioned early on, you know, this concept of choice. And I think that word is getting commingled with so many sort of factors and variables that depending upon what side you sit may have different meanings and or might fire you up more, uh, you know, rather than less. What's that conversation look like as we look even just as a citizenry and we think about all the different players at the table? How should we understand homeschooling within that context at that table? So public school cuts both ways. There is the dream of democratizing our society and providing a great education to every child from every neighborhood. Uh, If only that were so. Schools are funded by local taxes. The rich kids get 
fancy schools or at least well-funded schools and the kids in the poorer neighborhoods, even with Title I additions, um, get a school much more poorly funded. One of, one of the big trends of the last few years that has astonished people is that the African-American community, which used to be underrepresented in homeschooling, has now become overrepresented and they find it's a much better education for their children. Um, so the school people will talk about the dream of what, it should suppose, what it's supposed to be, but then if they're anywhere near the reality of it, they, they will say, you know, we really don't have the funding to do what we need. We don't have, we can't find the experienced teachers. The teachers show up undertrained. Um, the education schools aren't sending us the best students. They're sending us the bottom third of the class. It's been this for the last 20, 30 years. It, it's, we, you know, we have, we have all society's problems on our head and it's, it's really tough. Um, I'd say there's two types of charter schools. Uh, one, char one is the ones which are running it like a business and they look much like the public schools, but they tend to be a little better run, um, but they're much like the public schools. There's also a large movement of very reform oriented nonprofit charter schools who are doing a fabulous job, many of them doing uh, traditional things, but with enormous discipline and intensity some of them doing quite innovative things and doing it with um, sometimes great success. Uh, the private schools, they're still there. They've, they've been shrinking a little bit the last 20, 30 years. The mega trends are against them. The virtual schools would be another crowd that you could include at that table. Yep, no, you're right. They're beginning to get it together, uh, but they are in many ways subject to all the regulations and the problems of the, the school systems. So the private schools are quite expensive, but the but but they have a role to play, and they're often um, one of the places that homeschoolers will go as they get towards high school. Uh, and then there's the homeschoolers. We're on a roll. Uh, we certainly have our challenges. It's it's difficult on the parents. The reality is that an awful lot of parents homeschool for four or five years, and then mom wants to do something else with her life, and um, it's almost always the mom. By the way, it's like night. 97% of our parents that are homeschooling the kids are moms. The next 2% are actually grandmas. And then there's maybe 1%. And then dad slides. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, is what we, last time we surveyed. But, but that's the way the, the conversation goes. I, I think an interesting thing is how many teachers are now homeschooling their own children, um, perhaps having dropped out of the workforce, uh, perhaps doing, doing both at the same time. That is very compelling. And I would imagine, uh, John, that we're going to see more of that to your point about the great resignation or the big quit. We does feel like we're at a crossroads in education, uh, you know, sort of hopefully post COVID fingers crossed um, that we just have a different understanding of our place as adults and as caregivers in the role uh, our children play in education and how we'd help to grow and develop them. And that we now have, I think, a stronger voice in a way that we didn't uh, prior to the pandemic because, you know, everybody's been incredibly busy and trying to build their lives. And sadly, I think leaning into the school system, hoping that they'll just take care of everything. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't work like that. It's a relationship. It's a contract. So even before COVID, uh, I would say, and most people would, that the American school system was uh, no longer state of the art no longer greatly effective at addressing our challenges. Yeah, the numbers, that bears that out, absolutely. Everybody agrees with that. 
the real problem is you can't get two or three people to agree on where we should go. Gosh, you can't get two or three people to agree on what we should teach the kids. Um, is there any purpose to teach most kids calculus or not? Is there most kids any reason to teach kids algebra two or algebra one? I mean, none of us in our professional life, except for engineers and a few other a few other professions, ever deal with a x with an with an exponent on it, x squared, x cubed. Surely the kids should be dealing with statistics and algorithms and things that will be going on in the real life. As, as an educator, I strongly believe, I fundamentally believe that education is only worthwhile if it transforms the learner. If the kid is the same afterwards, what's the point? There's no, there's no reason to learn things just because they're difficult if you're going to forget it. You should learn things so that you look at the world or you think about the world differently. Um, the point of math is so you can look at the world quantitatively and understand what 30% of means and you can think about things. The reason to study literature is because of the way it provides metaphors and structures around our world. I, I think there's room for us to go back to the real basics of what are we teaching the children and why and taking this to the children so they understand it, treating them with agency. I mean, in, in all the great civil liberties and movements, one of the ones that is yet to come, I think, is that the children should have some choice in the way to spend their lives. And while there's a consensus that in elementary school, you need to learn basic math, and of course you need to learn great reading skills, there's not really that much consensus on what middle school and high school should be about and why. If you look at the school systems, the high schools that used to exist, the vanilla high school where everybody got the same diploma instead of the same thing, that's, that's kind of disappearing. At this point, high schools have usually a series of academies within them. You can be part of the IB, the International Baccalaureate Program. You can be part of the health program if you're headed towards being a doctor or a nurse or an x-ray technician. You can be part of the Robotics Computer Science Academy if you're headed that way. But everybody is now searching for what the new models of education will be like, um, or, or they're hoping that the old models somehow will come back and work in the modern world. Uh, I think we're. I think the school systems will find that there's an enormous amount to learn from the homeschoolers. There's an old saying that the future is usually already here; it's just lurking in the shadows. And so I'd say, gosh, homeschooling and time for learning's approach to education is something that might be uh, a real guidepost on where we should go in the future. Well, time will tell what parents decide, but I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, John Edelson and Time for Learning will be there uh, to have the discussion and to help support families as they make, uh, I think, a new wave of decisions. We want to make sure that people can find John uh, and, and Time for Learning. You can go to time4learning.com and uh, learn more <laughs> about their offering and their history and the role that they play in the larger discussion of education. Once again, we want to thank John Edelson, the founder and president of Time for Learning. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.